Hey everybody, this is John Parrott, and you're listening to The Local Youth Worker. Uh, we are about to get to my conversation with Matthew Eichard that kicks off Season 3 for us, but wanted to let you know about parenting today this week. Kurt and I will be discussing the Netflix movie Bird Box that will air on Tuesday and Thursday, and the RYM Student Podcast is airing new episodes today, Wednesday, and Friday, so be sure to check that out. Here's my conversation with Matthew. The beggar, the outcast, and the slave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a daily podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, we have someone who is no stranger to this podcast, uh, Reverend Matthew Eichard. Matthew, welcome back. Thanks, John. It's great to be back with you. Uh, Matthew appeared on seasons one and two of this podcast. Uh, he was in episodes 36 through 40 and 171 through 175. So you can go back and check those out when we had the five basic questions in our first season and then the frequently asked questions on season two. And uh, since Matthew helped us kick off season two of this podcast, we thought he could help us kick off season three. So you're <laughs> the first guest on season three and this is this is episode 266 which is hard to believe yeah um, that is hard to believe yeah yeah and 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 talking with some of the other youth workers uh, i've reached out to a few people just kind of getting thoughts on this season we thought it would be a good idea to focus on story uh, for season three of the podcast as christians we know that story is significant God chose to communicate to us through story in the Bible, as we know, is one big story that communicates God's love for his children through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, therefore, this third season will have uh, you know plenty of guests as we, we typically had in seasons one and season two, but this season will focus on the individual stories of youth workers, how they came to know Christ, how they got into ministry, what the Lord has taught them, and, and many more things we'll discuss. And so we trust that even those who listen and those who aren't in youth ministry, I mean, that's something that's been surprising is uh, parents telling us that they listen to this podcast, even though we, we started this podcast, obviously, for youth workers. It's entitled The Local Youth Worker. And I guess we could say, you know, parents are youth workers in a sense, um, having youth in the home. Um, but even if you aren't in local youth ministry, uh, there'll be plenty to connect to through these individual stories. So, Matthew, with that introduction out of the way, uh, let's hear your story. Uh, why don't you begin telling us, you know, where you grew up and then how you came to know the Lord? I'd love to, John, and uh, thanks for having me back on. Um, I, I think when when I when I think about my testimony or, you know, really the way that, that God chose to draw me to himself. Um, in a lot of ways, my, my, my story is not a lot different than, than so many people who have been privileged to grow up as, as a part of the church. Um, both of my parents were believers when I was born. So I was brought home to a Christian, uh, Christian home. Um, you know, church was something that, that was sort of a, um, I don't think expectation is the right word, but it was just it, it was a part of the fabric of who we were as a family. I knew that that you know was where we were going to be on Sunday morning and Sunday night and and Wednesdays. Um, you know, I, I honestly can't remember a day when when Jesus and and God and and the message of salvation wasn't at least a, a familiar concept for me. 
And I think looking back on that now as an adult, um, that is probably one of the, if not the greatest privilege um, that I've I've ever received as an individual, um, just to have that sort of foundation and understanding um, and the love and care and concern and intentionality that came with that from my parents. Um, but where my testimony, my story is a little bit different is that I, I distinctly remember um, being pretty resistant to the idea of the gospel message, even as a child, um, because I knew um, growing up in in my church that that this whole idea of sin and the holiness of God was a big deal. Um, that's something, you know, in the tradition that I grew up in was was preached very often and very directly. <laughs> Maybe the best way to say that. Um, and while, while I was kind of willing as a kid to recognize sin as a general concept, I, I was very slow to recognize myself as a sinner. Um, and, you know, looking back, I, I just I see how even in my my child's heart, that was just pride um, of not wanting to to be humbled, of not wanting to have to be dependent, uh, of not wanting to recognize that I was not good enough in and of myself um, to please or impress someone. Um, and so I would say, you know, there were probably several years there where I was under the conviction of, of the preached word of God. And I think looking back, even under conviction of, of the spirit of God. Um, but the, the lesson of, of humility and the brokenness of repentance that God granted me, um, really wasn't something I experienced until I was, you know, probably 11 or 12 years old, um, of just kind of that, that, I guess, you know, for what we do, the beginning of those youth years um, was really the first time I came to a realization of my sin, of, of the, the beauty and power of God's holiness and, and the sufficiency and the grace of Jesus Christ crucified, um, died and, and risen again. Um, and so, you know, I, I have very distinct memories of, of that time of my life, of what it was like to to humble myself or maybe rather to be humbled uh, before God and to be given the great grace of, of salvation. Um, and that was something, um, you know, that my parents certainly held in front of me, but I'm really thankful that they didn't force it on me. Um, and it's also not something they, they made an assumption on, um, even though I was a pretty good kid uh, growing up and pretty compliant. So um, that's kind of, you know, how I initially came to faith. And then obviously, for the past you know, 20 plus years have been, been growing in that understanding of the gospel every single day. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And I'm similar to you. I never knew a day uh, where I didn't know Jesus Christ grew up in a Christian home. And um, I can remember being embarrassed of that. You know, it wasn't that quote unquote exciting testimony, but the older I've gotten, the more I have, as you said, uh, seen what a blessing it is um, to have that and to, to grow up in, a family uh, that has uh, church as a priority uh, for sure. And and something to, just to follow up uh, with that, uh, an interesting question I think uh, we, we need to ask other youth workers is kind of their youth group experience. As you said, you did grow up in a church and did, did and your church specifically had youth group. Was this with a youth director? Did you have parents that were volunteering in youth ministry? 
So that's that's where my story kind of gets really interesting. At least I feel like it's interesting for most people who are in youth ministry. Um, I, I didn't really have a singular church or a singular youth group that I was a part of um, during my teenage years. Um, my parents both came to faith as adults. And so kind of where they were coming from, they they knew that God's word was true. They knew that church was important. But so much of their story and our story as a family was really just trying to seek out what does a genuine church community look like. <clears throat> so really during my teenage years, we were probably a part of maybe even five to seven churches um, during those years of just journeying and looking and praying and 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 you know asking the Lord to help us find what what was a biblical um, New Testament church. Um, and so for, for a lot of those years, um, I I was, I was just kind of along for the ride, trying to figure a lot of those things out while dealing with so many of the temptations that are a part of your teenage years and the big questions that you're trying to answer. Um, so I would say, you know, realistically, John, the, the private Christian school that I attended in middle school and high school probably served for me as more of a youth group community. Um, than anything within the local church itself. Um, now, kind of reflecting on the second part of that, what kind of kid was I? Um, I would say, wow. Um, I mean, part of that I don't like to talk about. <laughs> um, I, I think I said earlier I was a pretty compliant kid, and most of that continued through my teenage years, at least outwardly. Um, I'm always somebody, I'm very, very um, conscious of what other people think of me. Um, and I always want to be thought well of. I don't don't Um, struggle with that at all. That's good. (laughs) I'm really glad to hear that. Um, thanks for leaving me alone. Yes, of course. Um, but, but I I think that's especially true of people who are over authority or in positions of authority over me. Um, and so when it came to my parents and teachers and, and pastors and other influencers, I was always very quick to kind of toe the line of expectation and to even go kind of above and beyond the call of duty um, when it came to um, things like spiritual disciplines and, um, you know, just being present and being active. Um, So there was kind of that side of Matthew. And then there was the you know, what I feel is so common, not only for teenagers, but just for people, the Matthew that was sort of behind the mask, behind the scenes, struggling with so many of the sins and temptations that teenagers struggle with, asking so many of the big questions, and just trying to figure out who I was and what life was all about. Um, And so I feel like in a lot of ways, I was kind of walking down like this razor's edge between um, wanting to hold up appearances and do the right thing and just knowing that I was a hot mess and not knowing what to do about it. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way I walked through a lot of my teenage years, especially like 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, and then I would say kind of as I got into my junior year is where just certain parts of living as a Christian started making more sense. Um, and I was able to, to be surrounded by some other really good guys who helped shape me and helped me understand what living a faithful Christian life looked like. Hmm. Well, I know you were saying that 
somewhere in the ballpark of five to seven churches that you were kind of a part of in this time and that you were more connected to uh, the school. How did that impact you in the youth group? I mean, were you able to have any sincere friendships in the youth group? Were you able to be a leader in the youth group? Were you kind of on the, uh, just behind the scenes and kind of, you know, stayed out of the way, so to speak, in the youth group? Um, well, I would say that, you know, some of the churches were, were so small, there was no, you know, youth group per se. Um, in the, in the one church that I think we were probably a part of the longest, um, there, there was a youth ministry. Um, I was able to be in, in the leadership in, in some capacity. Um, and I think there were, you know, genuine friendships that developed there. Um, and, and, you know, that, that was, I mean, I remember, you know, kind of going to all day Saturday events with, with other youth members and going on service projects. And, um, I remember part of, part of me really longed for more of that. Um, because I would see my friends from school or hear my friends from school kind of talking about those sorts of things. Um, and so it was kind of always one of those things. It's like, wow, I mean, that, that sounds really cool. I bet that that's, that must be pretty neat to be a part of something like that. Um, but also knowing that that just wasn't at the time where where my family was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Matthew, I know on the on the second season of the podcast, uh, you said that people encouraged you about pursuing ministry. Uh, but, but when did you really be, begin considering full time ministry? I know you you just said that there was some kind of leadership at times that you played, but when did you start having that thought of you know what full time ministry could be an option for me? Yeah. Um, so I've already I've already told you that I was uh, part of a, a Christian school environment, and I really think it was probably my junior year um, of high school where I kind of sat back and there was this aha moment of, OK, here I am feeling like I live this really sort of divided life between what I know to be good and right and healthy as a believer but what I really want to be involved in, I think, as a as someone who's still struggling with a sin nature, I don't understand how those things fit together. I feel like that's a huge struggle. I feel frustrated and defeated and, and victorious all at the same time in that. And then I looked around and I realized that like every single person I went to school with who is my age was basically living the exact same life that I was. Um. And then we were all just coming together and talking about, you know, how frustrated we were or how we were struggling with things or how we wanted to, to know more and, and to, to, to sort of be more as, as believers. And, and so I really just started um, kind of going to some people who were involved with my, with my Christian school. Um, a couple of guys were, were Bible teachers. One guy was a basketball coach and, um, just started to have really honest conversations. Um, I remember in God's providence, there was a guy who worked out in, in the same gym as me and my friends and come to find out the guy was a ruling elder in the, in the PCA. Um, we had no idea what any of that meant when we were 16, <laughs> yeah. 17 years old. Um, but he was recommending resources and I think planting seeds and really, I mean, discipling us as young men. And I think through all of that, you know, God just really began to open my eyes to the opportunity that exists, particularly to meet people and young people in the midst of their questions, 
in the midst of their frustrations, in the midst of everyday life stuff with the truth. Um, and not, and not with a dry truth and not just with, with, with facts from a book, but with a living savior. And I, I remember even, you know, I guess, gosh, that's almost 20 years ago now. I mean, that, that was just the most exciting thing in the world for me, you know, to think that you could, you could spend your life in invested relationship with people talking about something that genuinely satisfies and makes sense of the confusion and the frustration. Um, now I was very slow to translate that into anything that resembled like pastoral ministry. Um, because again, the tradition that I grew up in, there were like certain stigmas that, that went with, you know, like a pastoral lifestyle. And I just wanted nothing, nothing (laughs) to do with that. Um, so, you know, for me, it, it was sort of an initial burden, but but then a process of actually, I think, embracing the, the call to ministry itself. Hmm. And so, so what, I mean, if you had to say an age, what, around what age was it where you thought, okay, this is what I want to want to pursue? Um, I would say I was fully convinced of it by the time I was 22, 23. Um, so a part of my story too, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, make a short story long, but so when I was 17, I'm thinking, okay, ministry, this could be a really cool thing. I I see the benefit there. I I love the gospel, but I don't want to be a pastor. So I actually went to college and got a degree in camp ministry. Um, because I knew I love the outdoors. I love the idea of living invested, um, life together with other people. And I, I love Jesus. And so I thought, okay, how can all those things come together without me having to be a pastor? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like, Hey, I could be a camp director that, that there we go. Found it. Um, so, you know, for four years of my life, I studied hard. I, 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 applied myself. I worked at camp every summer, either as a counselor or program director. And then, you know, I graduated. So 22, graduate, go to work for my first camp full time. And that was the hardest season of my life ever because summer ended, all the campers went home, the entire staff went home and it was me and the director and nobody. And so I just wasn't ready for you know, that kind of isolation, that kind of administrative load, uh, the cold calls of trying to find people to come to the camp. And um, and I think it was just sort of God's way of being gracious and, and helping me understand that there's something that he has established for the primary uh, benefit and growth of his people. And that's the local church. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, for me, it was really around 22, 23 is like, OK. Um, I think in, in my particular call to ministry, this is something more than than what can be found in this particular context. This is this is really more of a call to pastoral ministry. Hmm. Yeah. So instead of being swallowed by a big fish, he sent you to be a camp director to show you, OK, now you need to come back in the local church. 
Well, <laughs> maybe, and, maybe some application there. I don't know. I, I think so. And honestly, too, I mean, the local church for me, John, was kind of a scary place because we had been part of so many growing up that I, I didn't I didn't really know what it looked like to be a part of one church in a dedicated sense. I knew what it liked to be. I knew what it was like to be attached to people for a certain amount of time and then to sort of be torn away from them. Um and so I knew I didn't want that. I didn't want to experience that again. Um, and so, yeah, I was just kind of looking for maybe a different angle or a different approach um, to what I now know is ultimately we found in in the primary <laughs> uh, thing that, that Jesus has established. And that's the church. Mm, now that, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And, and so as you know, anyone begins working in full-time ministry, you know, we get to see behind the scenes. And how long have you been in full-time ministry now? Well, I mean, if you, if you include that year um, where I was working at, at camp, I guess that's 12 years. Um, you know, and there was, there's the years of seminary there where <laughs> seminary was a full-time job. <laughs> but I was also, you know, working in a local church as their director of youth uh, for most of those years. And, so yeah, I mean, 10, 12 years probably. Yeah. And so so behind the scenes now, you know, 12 years of ministry and, and serving in the church, that definitely changes our perspective on mm. ministry. And so now that you are in full-time ministry and you, you've been behind the scenes for a while, you know, how has it changed your perspective on, on the local church? But then also thinking about all those influential, you know, congregants uh, from your upbringing to, you know, the ruling ruling elder you, you talked about earlier and other pastors that have poured into you. How's that kind of shifted your perspective on those individuals that God used in your life, as well as, you know, the institution, as you just talked about the local church? Yeah. Um, I, I think more than anything, you know, as I think about where I sit here at 34 years old, having the opportunity to influence lots of young people and their parents and, and to just be involved in the day in, day out of, of this particular you know, local church here in Clemson. Um, I, I think one is that God has just helped me discover the, the beauty of, of long term personal relationships with other people um, and helped me understand that that sometimes the, the beauty of those relationships is in the hardest things, the messiest things of life. Um, you know, I remember, you know, older men in particular coming alongside me, whether it was a teacher or, um, you know, guys I would work out with or um, even, you know, folks that I just kind of met in and about life in the community. And, you know, they would they would listen to my questions. And I know sometimes I ask those questions in an arrogant way. Sometimes I ask those questions in um I think, you know, you, you just ask so many things when you're when you're that age. Um, but there was a lot of patience that they exercised, um, a lot of love and and concern um, that they showed me. And I, I think more than anything, I, I was just really glad that people gave me an audience when I was a teenager, um, because even if they didn't say anything back or provide me with all of the answers that I wanted, just knowing that they listened was a really, really big deal for me. Um, knowing that they took time to see me as a person 
and to sometimes, you know, just hear me vent or, you know, I look back on some of the things I said and I'm, I must've come across as, as just the most ridiculous, proud, but, but, but there, you know, there just wasn't condemnation there. There was, there was rebuke at times. There was, there was challenge. Um, but I think there was a lot of patience and I'm really thankful for that. Um, I think the other thing that I'm really thankful for is I I think there were just, there were people in my life, Sunday school teachers, um, you know, men and women who I think they embrace the reality of, of relationships being a God given opportunity. Um, and I'm not wanting to, of really being aware of the fact that God is, is, is working in his providence to bring people across your path. Um, you know, that same ruling elder uh, that I mentioned earlier, as I made my way into college, um, he took me and some of my friends down to a league and air conference in Orlando. And for us, that, that was, that was mind blowing. I mean, that, that was life altering for us. Um, you know, to hear, to hear these guys speak, and interpret scripture in front of us in a way that was so life-giving and so clear and so powerful. Um, and, you know, I, I, there wasn't an expectation on his part that we were all going to be this, you know, group of, of young men who went out and into full-time ministry. And it, he was just trying to be faithful and to give us good resources and, and good categories and, and good experiences as, as younger Christian men. And, um, you know, some of the some of the people that I got to work with during those summer camp opportunities, you know, they were quick to take me under their wing and mm-hmm. and again to listen to a lot of the crazy things that I said and <laughs> um, just live life alongside me. And that that was good um, and it was necessary. And I, I can tell you, John, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today without that kind of influence. Um, I'll say too, I thought it was really interesting over the Christmas break, my mother-in-law was talking with, with me and my wife and she said, this is going to sound a little proud, but it's not meant to. She said, you must be really good at your job, Matthew. And I said, why, why would you say that? (laughs) And she said, because I realize just in, in hearing you talk and watching you and Rachel live your lives from a distance, you, you just dedicate yourself to people and you're not surprised by like all the crazy and you're not shaken by just the stuff and the questions. And, and I thought about that and I thought, I thought, you know, I think she's right. But then I kept thinking about it. It's like, I, I think so much of that's true of me because that's the way I was treated as a teenager in the midst of my crazy, in the midst of my questions, in the midst of all of the stuff of life, people were just patient and they listened and they were present. Um, and that was, that, that was huge. And if I could write a thank you note, you know, to all the people who were big influencers in my life, I think that's the number one thing I would thank them for is just thank you for being there, for listening and for being constant. Mm, that, that's excellent. That's so good just to, to be reminded of, you know, the power of being present in someone's life and the power of being 
you know, just a listening ear to somebody. I mean, to, to, to know, I mean, as you said, um, you're processing all of these things as a teenager. We know teenagers today are, are processing all of these things and they want someone to hear them. And so just that, that by God's grace, the impact of that in your life and just the significance of that. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think about that. And so, I mean, just, you know, for those parents who are listening, those youth workers who are listening that, that we've said it, something like this on this podcast before that sometimes we can be with students and we think, okay, what just happened? You know, did, did any ministry occur? Um, but, but to, to, just be, to, to be reminded that, I mean, just being physically present and being a listening ear for somebody, um, the Lord can use that in a mighty way. And anyway, that's just a great reminder to hear that in your story. And just kind of a, a follow up to this ruling elder you talked about taking you to the mm-hmm. Ligonier conference. Where, where were y'all living at this time and how far of a trip were we talking about him doing this? So I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina, uh, kind of around Greenville, which is halfway between Charlotte and Atlanta. Um, so that would have been a nine hour drive. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he had a group of stuff. teenagers. Um, well, I mean, we would have been early college age, but yeah, we were probably still teenagers, 19, maybe 20. Um, and we, you know, headed down to Orlando for three days. And, um, I mean, it was, it, it was looking back, it was oddly normal. Um, you know, for us, we, we actually enjoyed our time. Um, we benefited from a lot. And, you know, I think because we had known this guy for a couple of years already, uh, because we knew his character and because we saw his, his concern for us, um, it, it just wasn't it wasn't as weird as it probably sounds to a lot of people. Um, like I said, it just it felt very normal because that's that's just the way that we related to Steve and, and the way that we knew Steve. And do, do you still keep up with Steve? You know, I don't. Um, I lost contact with him um, after um, after college. And um, because I'm still in that same presbytery, um, I know uh, where he used to go to church and where he used to serve. But I, I haven't really been able to reconnect with him um, intentionally. I'd love to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, just that that three to four year window right there. I mean, he he really helped shape, you know, some some of us as young men. Mm hmm. And Matthew, you've kind of already, you know, hit on aspects of this, and uh, I know some of this might be um, repeating a little bit. But but why do you enjoy youth ministry? You know what what was it about this specific ministry that fueled a passion in you, or kind of moved you to answer, you know, a specific call to this area of God's kingdom? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I, I think you know, doing what I do, uh, particularly because I'm an ordained minister, um, you know, having been in one church now for six and a half years and having opportunities to kind of share in different aspects of, of the ministry of our church, it, it's not uncommon to get questions from people either inside the church or outside the church of like, hey, you know, when, when are you going to take your own church? Or, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, when are you going to become a real pastor? Um, And, you know, for me, I think even through those years of seminary, when I felt that pastoral ministry was going to be a reality um, and and a good reflection of the giftedness that God had given me, I was very eager to take up a call to youth ministry specifically. Um, And that's because I, I feel like in so many ways, Youth ministry offers a dynamic that is really unique 
um, and, and really exciting and really challenging, but in a way that I, but in a way that I sort of embrace. Um, I tell people all the time that, you know, my greatest privilege as, as a pastor of youth and families, that's, that's my official title, is watching little boys and girls become men and women. Um, you know, this is, this is going to be the, the end of year seven for me here in Clemson, which, you know, that, that means that I've now been able to watch a class of sixth graders graduate from high school. Um, being able to share in these seven years with those kids, with those now young men and women, that's something that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice for the world. Um, because, you know, I, I get to watch these skinny, short, awkward, wildly curious, goofy 11 year olds mature and grow and, and question and, and hurt and laugh and play. And I get to come alongside parents as they pull their hair out and as they sit back and laugh and as they invest the time and the energy and, and the blood and the sweat and the tears. And I mean, just seeing what, what changes and, and by God's grace, what's transformed in an individual's life in those seven years is something that I was incredibly excited about and really attracted to in ministry. Um, and that, I mean, that's really always been true. Um, and, and I, I don't know if there's one particular thing I can put my, my finger on apart from that, you know, dynamic of ministry, um, that was super attractive to me. Yeah, for sure. And again, that's just helpful perspective, um, especially for those, you know, youth workers out there, you know, as as well as parents, when you're in the trenches <laughs> with these students or, or children and you're thinking, okay, you're, you're going through all of these questions, all of these issues, to see the privilege of watching these children mature into adulthood. Um, is a significant, awesome process to be a part of. And yes, it's going to involve tears and pain and difficulty and challenge, uh, but uh, just, yeah, some, some awesome perspective to think about the privilege uh, that it is. Um, and so, is Matthew, thinking a question about your specific youth group, you know, every youth group has that one story or that one trip or inside joke that they all remember. Um, and so, look, if we gathered your youth group uh, together and we asked them, hey, what's that one story from uh, their youth group experience that they kind of always talk about, always reference? And I know, you know, this story may change from year to year, depending on students as they graduate and all of that. So maybe a couple of stories, but some of those funny stories or um, significant stories that you've uh, witnessed the your youth group experience. Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, there there are several things that come to mind just right right offhand. Um, when I got here, the, the big story was CP spew. Um, so for you know, really every year prior to me coming, the church had always taken a youth ski trip uh, up to the North Carolina mountains. And one year, uh, they got to the ski lodge. It's typically like a three to four day trip. They got to the ski lodge, and it just cascaded 
somebody started with the stomach flu oh, and no. literally <laughs> it worked its way through the entire group. Oh man. It, it got so bad for them that they had to send people from the Sunday morning worship service up to drive because the adult leaders couldn't even make the drive back. Um, so I kind of walked into, you know, that story. Um, thankfully I was not a part of that story. Um, but if you ask adult volunteers who have been around for a while, that's still sort of the memory <laughs> that's locked into their head. So CP spew. Yeah. Instead of CP ski, it became CP spew. <laughs> and I guess we uh, should say, I didn't say at the beginning, Clemson Presbyterian church. That's right. And so that's CP for those listening. Yeah, that's CP, CP spew. That's <laughs> horrible. Um, I would say for, for, for me, um, the one thing that if you were going to gather our students together and be like, Hey, you know, what's, what's the wildest thing, the craziest thing, like the thing that's happened, um, since Matthew's been here, um, there was a, <clears throat> there was a summer at, uh, at RYM summer conference where uh, our group was of boys was large enough that we were actually put into one of the houses there at Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center. And maybe I shouldn't tell the story. We'll probably never get yeah. the house again. <laughs> yeah, I just realized maybe I shouldn't have asked this question, but we'll, we'll go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I tell the guys it's the last night, and as anybody knows, the last night at camp or conference is always the night that people try to do crazy things. So I'm like, hey, guys, um, just remember – Nobody leaves the house. I'm not saying you have to go to bed right now, um, but I'm going to sleep. Do not leave this house. We'll see you in the morning. Let's get packed and ready to go. So I get to sleep. My you know, other leaders get to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and there are two pizza boxes at the end of my bed. And I open it up, and there's a couple pieces of pizza in there. I'm like, man, how, how, did, that, how did that get there? So I threw it away, didn't really think about it. And the girls come over to bring their stuff and to get ready to get on the bus. And all of a sudden, the whole group is just, you know, chit-chatting, laughing hysterically. So what I didn't know is that these boys hatched this plan <clears throat> that they contacted Domino's Pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning. They ordered, I think, five or six pizzas. And in the special instructions box in the ordering website, they said, look for us on the roof. <laughs> so these boys climb out a window on the second story, stay on the roof, tied their sheets together, and lowered a bag down for the Domino's delivery guy <laughs> to put pizza into. So, so they lower the bag down with all the money and a tip, pull the pizza back up, eat all the pizza, and then give me the leftovers for breakfast. That's amazing. Hey. Of course, they, they posted the whole thing to Snapchat, so all the girls know. <laughs> they're all laughing. But <clears throat> there, there are some still some epic pictures and epic stories of how, you know, they got pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning without leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they, they abided by the rules. They, they did right. what you asked That's them to do. So I, I can't say that I was ever mad at them. I just, <laughs> to this day, I just laugh hysterically at well, that. That's better than I thought you, I thought you were going that, that they, they were going to be climbing down using sheets. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, what if the sheets broke yeah. and they fell and, you know, broken arm and, and all that. So yeah, getting the basket uh, to lower down, that was, that was smart. I wish we could talk to that Domino's employee and yeah, uh, so just do I. That, that whole experience, if they've ever gone through anything like that. Um, 
That's good. I think his name's Terrence, if you want to look him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll give him a call this summer uh, when we're back down there. Um, that's good. Any, any other stories that come to mind? You know, I mean, there's there's some stuff. Um, <laughs> I just thought of this. We were on a middle school retreat last year. And obviously, when you're hanging out with middle schoolers, the boys, especially the eighth grade boys, think they're hot stuff. They're ready to go. And they're certainly ready to show up all the male youth leaders. So on this particular retreat, we were playing a game called Bubble Soccer, where if you're familiar with this, you play soccer, but you're encased in a gigantic <laughs> inflatable bubble. So only your legs are sticking out the bottom. So their team lines up at one side. My team's on the other side. And one of our boys who is tall and blonde had been talking, you know, smack for hours. And so they blow the whistle and I start running for the middle. I, I see him coming toward me. and I'm like, all right. He, he said he wants some. <laughs> it's so on. here he comes. So he, he comes at me. And I just launch into him with everything I've got. And I'm not, I'm not the smallest guy in the world. And next thing I know, just absolutely unplant this guy. He goes flying backwards. And I'm like, wow, I didn't think I hit him that hard. <laughs> what I didn't know is that it wasn't a him at all. Oh, no. <laughs> it was one of our seventh grade girls. Who's <laughs> <laughs> pretty tall for her age. <laughs> so I hit this poor girl. <laughs> and she goes flying, and the whole youth group is like, "Oh no, Becca, Becca!" <laughs> wow, and, um, and you never so saw her again, right? That was I had to hugely <laughs> apologize, and you know, she thankfully was was very okay. Just a little, <laughs> just a little confused as to why the youth pastor's wrath was unleashed. Um, yeah, that's that's when we look back on very uh, very fondly as well. And I guess there's no video of that anywhere. Uh, I don't think so. Mm, no, we, got some, we, got a, we got some other great videos that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and of course, I mean, all of those laughs, I mean, that, that is a unique aspect to this job. That's, you know, fun. I mean, that, those, those stories that you share, the inside jokes that you go back and you, you reference, and that just, again, draws the group closer together, together. But, you know, whatever the job may be, it's not, just youth ministry we're talking about any job we're, we're in we know that most people you know step back from time to time and, and question their career path you know and that's normal mm -hmm. and that's expected at times and healthy for sure um, and so so what are some other possible professions uh, that you've thought about pursuing I mean those that could be ministry related but then those outside of the ministry and I know you already referenced camp counselor but um, you know as you've kind of reflected and, and thought about other career paths what, what are some of those yeah um, you know I, I think it, kind of starting with maybe stuff that's not directly ministry related um, working now with people full-time uh, there are a lot of days I kind of sit back and it's like man wouldn't it really be great to work with like projects and, and inanimate objects. Amen. Uh, <laughs> Amen. I'm there with you. Um, and that's not, that's not a complaint. It's just people are so dynamic and, and people are, are complicated and, and people, myself included, you know, we're, we're living and growing all the time. And, and because of that, there are so few tangible outcomes that come with ministry um, that it would really be great, I think, sometimes to just say, hey, look at the number of things I made today 
or look at the problems I fixed today, or um, look at the look at the things we were able to produce today that that are tangible and you can kind of wrap your mind around. Um, so sometimes I think it'd be really cool to like be a mechanic and and just fix things. Um, I love cars. I particularly love old cars. And you know, I thought, hey, if if I had a chance to to do this all over again, I think I could be you know, really satisfied with just trying to figure out, you know, the way those things work and, and, and try to help people that way. Um, I think too, you know, just because I love communicating with young people and I love sharing information. Um, actually when I was in high school and kind of wrestling with the whole idea of, of ministry at all, um, I thought I was probably going to be a history teacher, um, either at a high school level or maybe college level. Um, Again, because I kind of love this idea of, you know, where, where are we from? What what shaped us as people? Um, and I think even now, you know, kind of transitioning more in the ministry direction, um, I guess at some point in the future, I could foresee myself, you know, maybe possibly looking at the, the seminary professor route if, if I was ever to receive more education at some point down the line. Um, I loved, loved my years in seminary. Um, I got to serve as a graduate assistant as a part of that. And um, there were just, you know, that idea of of learning and growing and reading and, and being held accountable for what I knew and, and helping hold other people accountable for what they knew. That was that kind of gave me a lot of life and energy, which I know for a lot of people sounds super weird. Uh, but, yeah, I, I loved school. And so I think being a part of something academic uh, could be pretty attractive, even again, um, at some point down the road. Um and I think, you know, the last thing, um, I, I, it, there, there are still desires there when it comes to, to the, the camp ministry side of things. Um, I, I do, I love being outdoors and I love benefiting, you know, people in a place that I think God uses in a particular way sometimes, uh, of sort of that, you know, come away with me, uh, for a while, um. But yeah, I, I think if I was to ever do that again, it would have to be in a way that so directly served the local church um, that that was just sort of unmistakable, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but, absolutely. But yeah, I think I mean uh, those are those are kind of the things that probably stand out. If I was going to step back and and really think about it, um, that that would kind of be appealing to me or were appealing to me in the past. Mm-hmm. And and so in light of you know pursuing other professions. Uh, what's some counsel you would give to those, you know, who are listening and maybe considering a possible change of call? I mean, you know, we know that many youth workers listen to this and it does seem like youth workers might wrestle with this a little more frequently because oftentimes youth ministry has a pretty short shelf life um, for times. Mm-hmm. I know some of that has, has grown for sure, but, but maybe just some counsel about ways in which people can think through a possible, you know, change of call or change of profession. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing that I would say to somebody else who, who was maybe talking to me about youth ministry and just life and calling, um, I think it's really important kind of a, from a, from a, just a, a general perspective that we don't ever stop evaluating and, and, and recognizing and asking other people to help recognize our, our giftedness, um, in life. Um, because, you know, there may be certain things that that just over the course of the years, um, 
that begin to develop in you and and you begin to love in a different way and and are recognized as a part of your your skill set that could be mightily used to the Lord in in any number of areas. And so I think, you know, instead of sort of becoming stagnant in in just doing what you do for the sake of doing it and sort of resting on your laurels and kind of just going with the flow um, of really just kind of constantly growing and and changing and learning and developing um, and and just sort of seeing what the Lord does with that. Um, you know, I, I kind of shared as a part of my story, if you would have looked at me as even, a, I think, as a 21-year-old and said, hey, Matthew, when you're in your mid-30s, you're going to be an ordained minister um, in a local church, and people are always going to refer to you as their pastor. Um, I, I would have been very slow to believe you um, and probably pretty angry at that. At that. Um, but again, that, that was because that's where I was in the moment. Um, and, and that's what I thought about that particular calling at the time. Um, but I, I think that's the first thing is just take time to continue, um, to learn, to grow, to question, um, and to ask other people to speak into your life. Um, I think the other thing that's really important, um, to, to just kind of remember about a, a change of, of call or a change of vocation um, what we do in ministry and maybe particularly in youth ministry is, is really different. Um, and it, and it can be particularly difficult. You know, if you think about leading a youth ministry or working with a youth ministry, you're sort of always aiming at a moving target because your, your congregants are changing at a really rapid pace and your group changes every single year because some graduate and move on and others come in and join. Um, and so that can be really, that can be really hard. And I think it can be really tiring. Um, but just because it's difficult and tiring doesn't mean that it's not good work. And it doesn't mean that it's not work that you should continue to take up. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves or maybe the cause of that weariness, the cause of that wear. Um, is not always necessarily telling you like, hey, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing anymore. Um, I think the other thing that I would say is just just be careful, you know, to remember, you know, what what you would be giving up by stepping away um, from from youth ministry. Um, at least I, I find what I do to be particularly rewarding, even though it may be frustrating at times, um, even though it is frustrating at times. Um, and again, you know, being able to come alongside parents as young people are, are hearing the gospel and we trust applying the gospel and as God is interacting with them during these years that that are so formative, um, that is, that is a genuine treasure. Um, and and I don't think one that should be given up lightly. Um, but I, I would also say this, you know, if an individual is involved in youth ministry, vocationally, full-time, part-time, and they feel like they can genuinely be satisfied and contented doing something else, go do something else. Um, and, and know that that's okay and that that's good and that God will, will bless and strengthen you to that end. Um, because yeah, ministry is, is particularly difficult. And I believe that at every level, 
whether you're an ordained minister or not, that, that it is a calling um, by God on your life. And so I think you have to be sensitive to that. Hmm. No, that's good. And, and Matthew, I know we're starting to wrap this up and um, none of us know the future, uh, but do you have any idea how much longer you plan to serve in youth ministry? And I know people from your church might could listen to this or parents and um, so this could be somewhat of a, an awkward question, but do you, do you have that sense of, hey, I could see myself doing this the rest of my life? Um, or do you think, well, you know, I'll reevaluate every three years or so, but just give us some, some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, you know, I would say I, I probably get this question more the longer I'm in one place. Um, I think even at this point, um, I, I would probably be the longest tenured youth pastor that our particular church has ever had. Um, and so, yeah, people, you know, are just sort of, you know, hey, you've been you've been here a while. And that's not they're trying to get rid of me. It's just this is a little different. Um but I, I think, you know, for me personally, I don't really feel a strong burden to move away from from teenagers or youth ministry. Um, I feel very strongly that what I do is real ministry. Um, and, and my local church is is so fast um, to recognize that as well. Um, they've given me, you know, a seat at the table. Um, just in terms of, of who we are and, and where we are as a church. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, and so, you know, I obviously don't know what the future holds, but I, I I don't really feel any less of a calling to to minister among young people uh, now than I did when I was in my mid-20s. Um, I will say, you know, my role is changing. And I recognize that you know, even when I came to Clemson Prez, I was 10 years older than our seniors. And so there was a sense in which I felt like an, an older brother, you know, to our older students. Now I'm the age of some of our middle school parents. And, you know, that that makes a difference in the way that you relate to students. And so I think, you know, for as long as God chooses to keep me in youth ministry, there has to be a realization on my part that my role is going to change in some ways um, just because, you know, I'm I'm getting older and the way people perceive me and interact with me is different. Yeah. And I think that's that's some good advice there. What you just said is that you know, aging in youth ministry, uh, that there is a sense in which roles change for sure. I think that's just kind of a. A normal thing and something, you know, those who are serving in youth ministry need to be aware of um, that, you know, when we are the young people right out of college who are able to, you know, throw the Frisbee or the football and run around and all of that good stuff, eat, you know, eat a large pizza and not have it. <laughs> Destroy, yeah, yeah, exactly. And not have it destroy you. I mean, been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, ten years from now, that's going to change, and you're, you're, it's going to take its toll. So just to to be thinking about that in years of youth ministry, how the roles gradually change. I think that's that's good, and I'm glad to hear you say that you're planning on sticking around a little bit longer. One of the blessings of being on staff with RYM is getting to reconnect with other youth workers at our conferences. So I'm always glad to be able to to see you at those conferences. Um, Matthew, as we draw this to a close, uh, give us one book recommendation, or it could be, you know, a resource, a podcast, an article, uh, but what's one recommendation um, 
could be related to youth ministry doesn't have to specifically be related to youth ministry. Yeah, you know, I, I've thought about that a lot, and and I love to read and kind of gather resources. And um, I, I think for me, you know, something I come back to a lot in ministry, and this is going to maybe sound a little strange, but um, I, I, it's kind of a a tag team of of resources. Um, one is is a book, a novel by Aldous Huxley called Brave New World, um, where he lays out sort of a, a world where people begin to be controlled because the the powers that be have basically given them access to an unlimited um, pleasure. And so, you know, the people are, 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 are desensitized by this um, because, the, you know, the, the entertainment culture is just everything for them. And so they become so consumed by the feeling of pleasure and, and the experience of, of unbridled entertainment that, in essence, they forget what life is all about and they miss out on things that are genuinely satisfying and real. Um, and kind of a, a nonfiction work that picks up on that is Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Um, and he says that is basically the world that we are creating for ourselves um, through unlimited access to to media, that that we are we are basically allowing ourselves to be controlled by things that are not ultimately satisfying nor ultimately beneficial. And you know, as I live my life, um, and as I watch our students live their lives, and watch our parents just interact with students, you know, I'm just constantly drawn back to those two things and and interacting with them and just thinking through some principles that are kind of laid out there. And, you know, it's, it's just very interesting to me that, you know, something like brave new world that was lit, written so long ago, it just, it identifies so many things that are true in our culture. Um, so that might be something that was helpful for some other people might be that, you know, that guy's crazy. Um, but um, for that, for me, those two books have, have really kind of helped shape, I think so much of the way, that I interact with, with the world of teenagers. Now that, that's good. And those are two, uh, two I've, I've never read and they've been on my list. And I remember I picked up, I'm using to death, using ourselves to death, um, at our local library. It was a 25 cent copy they were getting rid of. And so that's been on my list for a while, uh, to read, but that's, those are some good resources. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, I know many will be encouraged and blessed by it. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out. Absolutely, John. It's always a privilege. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We hope you all have enjoyed our longer format as we have gone to one day a week. Uh, we know that some people like the shorter format, some people like the longer. If you're more of a shorter format person, feel free to break this up into five small segments if you want to. You can pause it, stop it whenever you want. But hopefully you've enjoyed that. Uh, we do have some other youth workers slated to come on to share their stories as well as guests as we Always have Alan Dykus will be on uh, to talk about um, some issues surrounding females and pornography. Uh, so that should be up soon. And Justin Holcomb will also be on uh, to discuss uh, sexual abuse. We know both both of those very serious uh, topics, but those will be some future episodes uh, to be looking out for. Uh, all the links that we have mentioned in this episode will be available at rym.org. So be sure to uh, swing by the website and check all that out. Matthew, thanks again. You're welcome. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feed.
The beggar, the outcast, and the slave.